In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Reel. It's a similar show, same location. We've uh, recently had Neil deGrasse Tyson here, the uh, celebrity astrophysicist. After we had him on the show, I checked his Twitter feed a week later, and he's doing a selfie with President Obama. I was like, okay. Um, so that was fun. Uh, we've had uh, Tim Ferriss on here, who's the four-hour everything. Uh, we've had George Galloway here, uh, charming my pants off. So uh, that's London Reel. Check that out at LondonReal.tv. But today we're here to talk about tech. My co-host is Colin Pyle. Uh, you're running uh, Crew Cafe in full effect. Yep. You've got some things going on with lingos. Uh, you're sporting the t-shirt. Uh, t- t-shirt's on for the London Coffee Festival today. So... Uh... What's it like being a coffee tycoon? Yeah, it's uh, well, we're, I wouldn't say tycoon. I have to sell things before I'm a tycoon. Right now, I just have them. Uh, but yeah, it's really busy right now. Uh, we got tons of inventory. We're selling. We're moving. We got you know great press coming up. Um, Lingos is doing great. Uh, we're doing a really cool voucher for Lingos, so we're, we're testing it out. So um, actually, if you go lingos.co/siliconreal, you get a twenty-pound uh, voucher. Uh, for to have a language lesson with a teacher face to face anywhere in the UK, so uh, go and check that out and let us know what you think. Awesome, yeah, we'll have a link for that on the YouTube description, or you can click on the screen and go that yep. free uh, free language lesson. Free so language go lesson. Check it out. Yeah, learn something, impress your friends, right? Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent, man. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, the coffee's good. It's tasting good. So uh, keep us posted on that. Even Cherry likes it. There we go. I know. It's, awesome it's a thumbs up already. So um, excellent. You know, before we get to the show, I just wanted to uh, thank our sponsors. One of them is uh, Bag Yourself a Billboard uh, com, which is this new competition where you can own a billboard right here on Old Street for two weeks um, and uh, get like a million online impressions on top of that so it's it's super cool I'm actually going to submit uh, it's super uh, exciting uh, it's yeah cool. an application for uh, Silicon yeah. Reel you just do a 60 second video you tell why your startup is the best in the UK they select one and then you literally own this space for like two weeks so yeah. it's cool you know we've had so many people on here that have great ideas and great tech but you know if you don't get the word out it's hard to get that traction. It's hard. So. Lots of noise to cut through. So. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's cool. You should do it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think and Lingo's is going to do it. Any yeah. small business or startup you've been around for less than five years, check yeah. that out. So, uh, yeah, bagyourselfabillboard.com, 60-second video. So do that. And uh, secondly, to TaskRabbit, um, they are an online marketplace that allows you to outsource small jobs and tasks. They do our back end of Silicon Reel. They chop up our videos for us. They can do anything. They're doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love them. And so surprised at what they can actually do. So... It's not just cleaning your house and stuff like that. So really sort of reach for it, reach for the sky and see if they can do it. Yeah, and they're part of our startup community. We had Lauren, their head of community here, uh, who just came over about four or five months ago from the States. And uh, yeah, they're really cool people, you know, great startup, great story. So check them out, taskrabbit.co.uk. 
and real 25 for yeah, 25 pounds 25 off. pounds off again more free things more free right you can oh. learn a language and get your house cleaned just by listening to the show <laughs> that is fantastic all right on with the show our guest today is sherry kotu who serves on the boards of many companies uh most recently it's the london stock exchange cambridge university the raspberry pi uh, foundation and the uh also the advisory board of linkedin uh you founded founders for schools uh which connects teachers and entrepreneurs uh and founders of successful startups you made angel investments in more than 50 companies. That's, a number, that's correct, right? 50. And uh, you hold investments in uh, three venture capital firms. Sherry, thanks so much for coming. Welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks um, for it's quite an introduction, right? <laughs> yeah. Feeling tired. Exactly. It's a lot of work, 50 companies. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh, so much to talk about, but, uh, and I want to I kind of hear about, um, you know, the earlier days of you being an angel investor. But, you know, recently, you know, it's been, you know, the London Stock Exchange that's been talked about. I know you and Joanna, you know, it was announced in January that you were going to be on the boards. Were you the first female board members of that? No, they, there had been two other female board members before, but they had both dropped off, retired off about six or eight months previously. So they had had female representation for quite some time, then a six-month hiatus. The media focused, however, on the fact that at the time that Joanna and I were appointed, there, were no, there weren't any females, but we weren't the first. Okay, media. As much as I'd like to say <laughs> that we were the first, we weren't the first. Okay. I was wondering, when, when, you, when you got that offer, is that something you had to think, uh, think long and hard about, or is this something to you it was just a no-brainer? Um, they were saying that it, it's going to help tech be represented more on that stock exchange, or was it a really complicated decision for you? Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about my background and then you'll understand why it wasn't that complicated okay. <laughs> a decision. So the, the first company that I started up was a financial services company. The second company I started up was also a financial services company. Um, and the 50 investments that you just mentioned, most of them are double-sided exchanges. So I love exchanges. I love making markets between buyers and sellers. Nothing makes me happier than than doing that. So by double sided you mean sellers and buyers. So matching yeah, creating matching. a marketplace is creating, you know, selling, you know, putting buyers together with sellers okay. and making it easier for the buyers to buy and the sellers to sell. Um, and so when I was approached about the LSC, which was mid last mid last year, um, it was, oh I love markets. I love the transparency. Um, I know um, you know, quite I, I know and love tech, and felt that there were quite a few things that they, you know, they might think about doing. I'd also had this sort of weird um, experience of having floated my own company uh, on London and Nasdaq simultaneously about 12 years ago, and then more recently, um, L- uh, LinkedIn is one of my, you know, was been one of the companies that I've been helping since 2006. It floated, and Care.com just floated. I'm advisor on both of those. So that's New York, London, Nasdaq, and a number of my investments have floated on AIM. So I have a natural curiosity about markets from a bunch of different sides. So it was like, yeah, that would be interesting. The hard part was um, instead of usually the boards that I'm on are things that I've in, invested in and they're small when I start and ideally they grow big. So joining something that is really rather large um, it was is, is a little bit was a little bit unusual. And instead of being an investor, you're you know an independent you know third third party. So it was a little bit strange to think. I usually help companies I invest in, and this was helping one not that I had invested in, but that I was interested in and felt that I could um, c- could help them in, in some ways. And what is your role there? Are you trying to liaise with the community? I, I never know what board members do because it seems like such a complicated job and hard to you know decide who does what. Do you kind of have to take the initiative or do what you do best on that board? 
Um, so the, uh, as a non-exec and a, as a director, you've, you've got to be able to help them with all aspects. They appointed both Joanna and I, I think, with a view of, um, of the tech side of what we did. Um, and um, we are there to help them do whatever needs to be done. Um, there are some people who were recently uh, just before us appointed to help on the risk and the audits uh, side of the company. And I'm really pleased that they haven't hired us so that we could help them with the risk side because that's probably not my expertise. So there are some you know, who are now the head of their, their risk side and, and they're focusing on that. I want to help them make London an absolute magnet for all companies to, who are thinking about floating. I want, you know, I want London to come here and I'd love their product to be absolutely the best so that if you're thinking and you've got the opportunity and you're a global company to float on London or New York or NASDAQ or you know anywhere else you might consider um, I'd like to help them think about um, making London a, a clear clear winner so I mean I, my background is being product focused and helping to develop products that people must have and that's probably the entrepreneurial spirit that I that I bring to it and the the zeal that um, if they don't have enough of it, I might um, heap a little bit more on top of them. It would but be interesting to, to see like a New York or a San Francisco based company that's kind yeah. of global to choose to float, you know, in London, as opposed to what seems to be the other way around. A lot of kind of London based companies are like, hmm, should we float in dollars? And, you know, we saw King, you know, float in the US. And, uh, but, you know, we've seen Just Eat talk about, I think, floating over here. But so, Just Eat just floated this morning. Just did. Oh, okay, there you yeah. go. <laughs> what, what, from an entrepreneur's perspective, do you think is the most important thing? when choosing where to float, if it had to be sort of just one point? Um, well, or, or you can do what I did, which was right. did a simultaneous float on NASDAQ and yeah. London. Um, well, really, it's, it's liquidity is right. the important thing. You want to be able to have, what, wherever you float, have a market in your shares, and ideally an understanding and an appreciation for what you're doing right. so that they don't just flip after two minutes because you want to have people who understand and who are interested in you, you succeeding. So the highest demand... So with, yeah, with and, and who does yeah. and who does the the best job at helping you your prospective prospective buyers, right. um, uh, you know, buy you and also help you continue information to the to the company. So uh, you know, to the to the people. So maintain the relationship. It's right. not just a single transaction. After you float, it's a long it's a long road and it's a long relationship. Sure. So um, what what can they do to continue you know helping you think about that, making it easier for you. When you see something like King, do you think, you know, if this was a year from now, I would make sure that that floats in London? Or do you just think, you know, some companies are always going to do that? Or do you think that's kind of like a sign to us that we should make sure these companies IPO here? Well, I think if I put on my UK, my, my UK hat, and I'm, I'm not a spokesman for the LSE, so I can't, uh, you know, I, I can't sort of uh, uh, maintain that I am. Um, but if I had an aspiration for all companies to float here, um, it would, you know, it would make sure that you've got a relationship with them early on, that they know why and that they feel comfortable. I would like a lot more companies choose to float rather than sell out early. And one of the one of my chief bugbears in the in the UK and Europe is that often entrepreneurs sell out when they've got, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 million in revenue. And, um, you know, with a little bit of extra work, our ecosystem can help them produce companies that are 100, 200, 300 million in revenue. And I think that we fall down on on that. Um, so I'd like to get more into the pipeline and more feeling that this ecosystem is one in which they should base a global business. And I think there's some, just in, back to your, your, your king and other, what are the specialties that Europe is particularly brilliant at? Um, 
I think that I look at ed tech, I look at med tech and some of the life sciences, I look at fashion, you look at fintech. Um, there's some things that we probably do way better here than elsewhere. So, you know, and, you know, financial services is a historical strength of, of the UK and of London. Uh, and I think it, you know, helping those companies choose to be here and operate from here and grow all of their uh, relationships from here, I would very much like. Um, we're pretty good at gaming as well. So, um, yeah. You know, I think that was a you know it's, it's quite sad. So I think if um, if we if it's a natural market for whatever you know whatever the company is, then I certainly want to work with them to make the UK the best, absolutely the best place to be, because it is time zone wise, it's it's really sensible if you're running a global business. I think any global business has a natural affinity for for the UK and for and for for London. And I say the UK because I think there's different parts of the uk that it's, are some some are better at other things and i do come <laughs> yeah. from cambridge um, exactly. although i do do a lot of things in london as well but i wouldn't be an entrepreneur if i hadn't come to live in london it was i never considered being an entrepreneur or i didn't even really know what being an entrepreneur was when i grew up but it was when i came here and funnily enough went to the london school of economics another lse um, <laughs> and was a student there and met uh, a mentor who was a, an amazing entrepreneur, and he, you know, saw that in me and said, "Oh, you're one of those." It's like, "Oh, am I?" Um, and that's what got my head ticking around to, "Oh, well, I could I could create a business rather than just taking a job. That's kind of neat. I like the idea of that." And that was here. We um, rarely hear that because usually yeah. it's about how the Americans or the entrepreneurs, the risk takers, and in Britain is slowly coming around. Um, do you think it's the fact that this is there's so many, I guess, immigrants and so many different ideas coming through this city and maybe also being at a university that it just felt entrepreneurial or why? Because I haven't heard anyone else say that about London. Um, well, this was it was at the LSE, which is um, which is famous for having a lot of international students. Um, this guy was an American from Philadelphia who was doing his PhD in mentoring, but he had floated a bunch of companies before. So he wasn't a British guy that I ran into, but it was, so it was an American who put the idea in my head, but it was at university. I think the universities do a tremendous service here at attracting absolutely top talent from all over the world and putting them into a, you know, an ecosystem, an environment where you gel and you, you form the most amazing things. And I think the collision of different viewpoints and different worlds is is really what has created a lot of the great companies that are around us um, and also when you're at university you're often open to suggestion and open to ideas because you're thinking about um, what the future might look like and I think at university it's really where I realized that we create the future I don't think I'd really contemplated it that all the businesses that were around me were created by people like you and I, I don't think I had that realization right. that it was us and people like us and people and us being everyone that creates companies because they're trying to create a better s future um, and they're slightly dissatisfied with what other status, you know, whatever the status quo, quo is. You've just given me a fantastic coffee and you, you, know, you started up an amazing coffee company. And when we first talked, it was about the language company, yeah. which I love. What a beautiful global business. What a perfect one to base here in London. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really is perfect. And, you know, creating the market, which is what you're doing. Um, I can't think of many other better places to do that. You know, it's not going to be East Coast or West Coast here. Sure, and it's such a natural fit for languages too in, in London as well. There's so many different 
backgrounds and cultures and languages and the history. It's, it's, I think it's a phenomenal place and to start a business. And you started it because you um, saw an opportunity sure. and you wanted to create a better future and you could see a, a, a nice way of making that happen. Right. That's, I didn't have that realization that it was people who were slightly you know, dissatisfied or saw a better way of doing things. I didn't, I didn't get that, that everybody did that. But that is how our world has been created. And, and it was here in London that I had that realization. And it's what's made me certainly the person that I am. What is the state of the union of, of London tech? You know, it's, it's, and it's changing so much, you know, even in the last year or two years. And, you know, you know, Bloomberg said before he left office that, you know, he was looking at London as competition and not Silicon Valley. You're on the West Coast a lot. I was just wondering what you see, because you've been part of this ecosystem for so long. Where are we at? You said it's such a wonderful place to start a company. And where do we need to go to make it, you know, number one in the world? I say that kind of ashamed. Why should I say that ashamedly? You know, it yeah, we should all, we should be. want we should want to be number one I in the agree. world, and I there's agree. nothing that nothing that stopping I mean, us. nothing yeah, stopping right. us. Um, some you know. Uh, so where's the state of London Tech? It's so much better than when I arrived 28 years ago. I can tell, <laughs> I can tell <laughs> I you with you. Where was London Tech 28 years ago? Yeah. Uh, well, I went for my Playing first finding. Uh, fin- <laughs> you know, my first financing, strangely, was um, was that the the man who told me I was an entrepreneur. He laid, he finished his PhD, went back to the states, and and three years later I started my company and I went to him for funding and I went do you remember you told me I was an entrepreneur well, I think I am now can I have some money and he, yeah. he said yes which was great um, and then another was a was a fellow who had run some companies here so there were two angels that funded my first company the angel um, the angel networks are very very strong here um, we are getting more and more serial entrepreneurs who are turning around and funding other companies um, and I think that's really you know that's really important part of the ecosystem so yeah. people who have started up companies helping others tr- you know tread the same path is um, is one of the things that creates the momentum and the velocity in the US it's and like the PayPal effect that we talked about yeah absolutely yeah. and that's coming along very very nicely here I think I you know, made a couple of tweets earlier this week sort of looking at, at you know different startups and they were absolutely supported by I mean, these ones were supported by huddle um, or the guys who have founded huddle which mm-hmm. is which is great and you're seeing more and more and more in that you think of the syndicates that um, that I'm being asked to participate in and that I'm participating in most of them are serial angels or serial entrepreneurs who are also investing you know, at the same time and on the side. And that, that's really nice. Um, VCs, um, I think we still got a, a ways to go on the, on the VC community. Um, some, one of the things that I've seen that I think is quite interesting is pairings of the big um, funds from the U.S. with some of the small um, ECFs here. And that's quite nice. So a, a local VC will lead um, at, and set the pricing and do a lot of the corporate governance, but the reach will go into the U.S. because uh, those guys will 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 um, will become part of the syndicate, and that's that's some that happens a lot, and it never ever used to happen. So the appetite that they that you know investors from elsewhere have to partner with some of our VCs is is increasing. And I think they've seen some really good returns. You know, Last FM was Greylock, you know, and you see, you know, Oaks come in and done a done a bunch of things. Um, I don't want to go through name names. I'm probably I'll annoy people forgetting for forgetting someone. Um, but that's happening with more regularity, and that's healthy because it. I think it increases the professionalism and um, of the VCs here, and it allows all of us to increase our game. As an entrepreneur, it means that you have better access to deep networks and relationships that will help you commercialize whatever it is you have in in the U.S. and elsewhere, um, if and when you need to. And that's good, because if you only had 
local or regional VCs to draw upon, your networks and your ability to leverage your investors to, to the benefit of your company would be less. So I quite, I quite like that. Um, Does it come down to networks and relationships at the end of the day? I mean, you see such a big well, picture. You're, a- you're asking someone who's been helping LinkedIn for a very long time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it does. How many VCs are you connected just, to? I've, I've, yeah. I've heard people talk about the things she's sure. talking about, but they talk about it from a numbers and sense thing. And yeah. You're talking about you know, having the relationships to, to trust someone to give them an angel investment. But or to, I, yeah, to I, think, I think it comes down to relationships because it's people and it, it's people who make the world work, and it's people who invest in other people. So I don't, you know, when I make investments, I'm absolutely investing in the person and the team, and I'm betting that they have the wherewithal to uh, to create whatever product it is that, that they're creating. And I can't just, you know, you can't just say, oh, well, go do the U.S. It's more, well, I could introduce you to somebody, you know, maybe at Qualcomm or, you know, or any of these, you know, or you know, name a company. And if you have a relationship there, then they'll probably pick up the phone. And if they trust you and they've known you for a long time, then they'll pick up the phone and they'll be more interested. But I think the relationships that we all have, I don't know if you've read The Entrepreneur Review. It was written by Reid Hoffman, again, of the no. PayPal Mafia. But you should read it. It's a beautiful book. The Entrepreneur Review. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And... It's a, it's a wonderful book written by the founder of LinkedIn, and he doesn't think of the world, you know, he thinks of the world as relationships and people, and, um, you know, I've learned a lot from, from him, and it's probably how I thought before, but having read it, it's consolidated the way that I, I think about things. But it's down to people and relationships and forming dreams, and, you know, you can't, if you're an entrepreneur... Um, you know, you, you guys are here doing something together because you know you're having fun and you're doing it as two people who have a relationship, and that's that's what makes businesses work. If you know, as an entrepreneur, I may want to make something happen, but I can't make it happen unless I can get a team around me that also want to make it happen and have different skills and different abilities. Um, and you have to paint the picture or the road that you need, the destination, and then get there. And that's what we as entrepreneurs do and it is it's through relationships in my in my view i would never say just go talk to a vc or that vc firm my natural would be well there's six people in that vc firm it's kind of a natural fit but this person um who you know worked there did that um financed that is the person you should really talk to because they'll be able to help you take you know put together the puzzle that will take you down that road that you said you wanted to go go down and I think it's more effective if you think about people and what they bring and how they can help you achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Yeah, the whole idea for the show, I mean, our tagline is it's about the people. So yep. it was like getting really behind the person. And, and you'll, you'll listen to people on this show in the last six months, and you're going to see these people in five years from now and seven years from now. And I'm sure you bump into many of the same people over the years. And you know, the people, you know, I'm sure the people don't change that much, you know, and you really do invest in the person. Right, yeah, if you, if they want to do something, you think they what they want to do is good, then you're going to join them on that journey, and through that, you'll create things that never existed before, and that's quite fun. And then by the you know before you know it, you'll know them really really well, and then you'll want to do another project together, and and then they'll introduce you to somebody else for something else that you've been puzzling about in your mind, and then you'll find yourself doing something else. 
how did you start your coffee? You know, you're thinking <laughs> yeah. that was probably it's probably a story, you know, like you know, like that. As sure, well. running it, you know, having lunch with another Canadian entrepreneur. He <laughs> says, you know, I have an idea and a couple of people, but I need someone to run it. And yeah, so it's about relationships and people. Right, and per, and it's actual real contact. The other yeah. thing that we found consistency right. is it in, even in this virtual world, it takes people being in the same room to come up with those ideas and being in the same place at least initially. You know, and I, I so so you know, powerful that it's about the people because when you start up a business and you have an idea, it, the idea you have on day one or before you even start changes so much within that first period of, of well, that's because you're learning, season. you know, Sorry. every you day, and, yeah, yeah, every yeah. day you learn and you jiggle it a little bit more. So it's better and a little bit more because, yeah. you know, you learn something, you think, Oh, I've been doing that wrong. Oh, yeah. I'll do that. And then, and then by then you've done, you know, they now call it pivoting, but, yeah. um, but you're just making it a little bit better every day. And as long as you make something, whatever it is, a little bit better every day, that's great. And we entrepreneurs, that's, you know, it's part of our special sauce is we can super hone in our product on, you know, a segment of the population and make something that they must have almost that they're addicted to. Um, and the beauty of, I guess, big companies, um, and I shouldn't say I know I'm with some big companies, but um, the beauty of a, a big company's inability to super focus and super hone their products is that as a little company, you can get their customers because you can create something absolutely magical. It's a fairly rare big company that can move anywhere near as fast as, uh, as a, small, a small entrepreneurial company. Having said that, we were just talking about scaling up companies. It's the, you know, it, it comes down to the people and the human aspect of what can take a small company with a great product and allow it to grow and grow and grow. You know, when I first joined LinkedIn, they were really quite small and they were, had no operations outside of the U.S. Um, now they're just edging up on 280 million uh, and, uh, you know, quite a few thousand people that work for them. Um, there's some great capacity that they had in the people who ran that company that allowed them to get bad, uh, get bigger. Um, and that is also what I would wish on our ecosystem here in London. You're now getting critical mass of people who have scaled up companies and you're getting a bit more, you know, a healthy momentum and velocity of people who move through uh, through the, the startup community, and that's very healthy. What you learn in one company can easily be transferred um, into another company as you, you know, coach and help, you know, help, you know, employees who may be there for the first time get up a learning curve and, and, and grow, grow as people and, uh, and as professionals at um, helping them do whatever needs to be done. Did you, were you sold on LinkedIn right away? I mean, uh, it's gotten so big. I, I saw Huge. something like one and a half billion dollars of revenue or something. I, I was like, I fell off my chair. I didn't realize it had grown that big, you know, so quickly. Did you, did you know right away when you jumped on and how has the company changed since you've been there? Um, well, my girlfriend uh, who was introduced to me by another girlfriend who uh, used to be a non-exec director on my company phoned me up and said, Oh, I'm with a, a friend here in Silicon Valley, and she's coming over. You know, she's going to come over to 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 London. Can you, you know, are you doing anything? Could you, you know, you know, introduce her to a few people? And it happened to be one of those weeks when you're out every single night at some sort of networking thing. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, come along. So we ended up, you know, hanging out, you know, throughout, you know, over the week. And she was one of the advisors to to LinkedIn, and um, I guess sort of understood how, you know, and, and again. I would have been sold on relationships and networks before because I'm a, probably a natural connector. Mm. Um, but, you know, she, it was at that, you know, when I met her that she introduced me to LinkedIn. I was like, oh, that's so sensible. That's exactly where, you know, why didn't it, it's so obvious. It should have existed before. And what a brilliant thing. So that was, I think, in December um, 2004. 
four. Wow, early um, days. Four or five, I can't remember exactly. So it's been around for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then when I next went to TED, um, which at that point was in Monterey, TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, Design. It's a big tech conference, which is fabulous to go to. And if you don't watch tech talks, tech, TED Talks, um, not that you that, you know you, you should obviously watch Silicon Real Silicon Real yeah, yeah. talks. But, <laughs> I like TED too. Um, yeah, but yeah, in addition great. to that, you should watch TED Talks. But um, she introduced me to to Reed, who's the founder um, at TED, and we just got to talking and. You know, he was the beginning of his journey. I, by then, had started up and exit. You know, sold my first company to the Euro Money, floated my second company on on London and Nasdaq. He was, you know, and had grown them quite aggressively. And um, they were marketplace companies. LinkedIn is a marketplace. You've got people who have skills with people who want skills, um, and it disintermediates the intermediaries or you know, um, the, head, the headhunters, not just them. Uh, yes, no headhunters, and it, but it allows people to you know to do what they want you know again it creates liquidity in the market um it makes it easy easier for people to to find people and connect and technology is beautiful for um for for helping people do that so they wanted to make the world's professionals um more productive and you know that was that that was great what i had been doing in financial services was making it easier for investors to communicate with companies um, so it's like, oh, well, that's very similar to, to this. And, well, you're obviously going to have to expand there and there and there. And how are you thinking about that? And how are you prioritizing your geographic rollout? And we just got talking. Um, and I thought it was a brilliant thing to do. I thought it was a really nice use of technology. I hadn't seen technology used in that marketplace before, but it seemed very you know, sensible and natural that that, that was a great way of, um, of approaching it. He, you know, you'd had the early markers of Facebook connecting people and allowing people. You'd seen the social was working. This was a, you know, a different segment of social. Um, and I liked it better as a, a business, to be perfectly frank, because the depth of the information that you collect on the people and their skill set is phenomenal. Very, very deep. Not, not, not broad. It's very, very deep. You know, you think 200 million, you know, 280 million um, users, and you've got what they've done for 20 years, who they know, their skill sets. That actually helps me find other people and it helps people find me if I want to be found and if I'm looking for that. The other thing that I use it for is an online Rolodex. I love using it to keep track of people, particularly in our world of technology. Everybody changes you know, what I, every, sure. every little while, you know, it depends on what type of person you are, how often it changes. But, um, you know, my, you know, the old days when you had business cards, we didn't even exchange business cards. I know. Um, in the old <laughs> days when you had business cards, it, you know, how long were they before they were obsolete? You know, depends on how long the person stayed. And I also like the way of, you know, I think that we navigate our world through, you know, through our relationships by and large. And um, because they can help you, you know, create your own future. The old days, you know, 20, 30 years ago when you would go to university or, you know, finish, finish school, then you go to university and then you'd become a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, or something, something else. And then you'd stay in that career forever. And there you were actually quite disempowered as a person because it was your employer that decided where you went and how you did it. But now it's your skill set. And if you don't feel like staying at your first job for that long, you know, you may you know morph into another one, and then you know you might create your you know maybe on your third iteration, six or seven years out, you might create your first company, and you might go back to people you knew in university or high school or maybe the first company, and those relationships don't die; they stay. They're much stronger than 
the, the corporate link. So you've seen a change of power from corporations to people. And because of that, the relationships between people are stronger. Um, and I, I think that trend is only going to increase um, in, in the future. I don't, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Because I think I had appreciation for that when I sort of first met them. I was like, oh, that's so good. Um, but it's funny because most people would see a social network. Sherry sees a marketplace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yes, that's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned how you use that as a Rolodex. I mean, you, you look at your CV and, and, I, and the first thing I think is how do you manage your time? Uh, and I was just wondering <laughs> if you could walk people through, you know, keeping a, a personal life and a family life and keeping, you know, in touch with all these companies and also keeping a, a, an active role in all those. It, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is this great professional social network that I use. Okay. It's all LinkedIn, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not, you know, it's not all LinkedIn, but I do use LinkedIn and, and it is absolutely a productivity tool for me. So if I'm meeting somebody that... I, um, I don't know very well. I'll look them up on LinkedIn and I will see who I know that they know. I will um, see what else they've done because they'll say, well, you know, I'm with this company and they'll say the current company. But I'll want to know a little bit more about them. Like, well, what did you do before and how long have you been there? Because it helps you answer questions about how, what kind of conversation you might wish to have. Um, so that's really, really useful. I try to, when I, um, so I started being a portfolio person about 12 years ago and wanted to split up so my week is split up partially on well there's there's i'm a wife i'm a mom i try to do community give back things at least a couple of days a week and three days a week i I stay on my portfolio so i i do split it up like that so So you've less time than i thought you had okay (laughs) um no but so weekends are are very strictly i don't do work okay stuff on weekends and um uh, and, I, and that's really important, and I, and I think I, I, need, I need to do that so that I can respect myself as a, as a, as a mother and a, and a wife. Do you um, check your email, or just strictly cold turkey weekends, no? I, no, I do check email. Okay. I definitely check email. But you don't respond to it, per se? It depends on what it is. Okay. O- often it might be deflecting, or you know, I won't sit down and write a long thing, right. and I will, will not have a meeting, and I try, try unless it's emergencies, touch wood, um, not to take calls. Okay. Um, um, and really just so that my family knows that, you know, they definitely have me and I'm focused and engaged, um, yeah, on the weekend. And give yourself a break as well. Let your mind. Yeah, no, I actually think yet. it's, be- I think it's, uh, I think it's better to, 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 you can be fresh, but as a portfolio person, when you're flitting from one subject to another, you are actually probably more inherently fresh than when I was, you know, obsessively running my business, which I, you know, did, you know, 80 to hundred hours a week, you know. I'm more fresh because I, I, you can compartmentalize and move from one company to another. So that, that helps. Um, the philanthropic, I, I spend time on Founders for Schools, which we're going to talk about at some yeah, point. I'd yeah. love to talk about that. Um, Silicon Valley comes to the UK. That's dedicated to trying to improve the ecosystem for entrepreneurship here in the UK well, and elsewhere. But really excited about that. I co-founded that with Reed in 2007. He had, he'd done a a PhD at Oxford University as a Marshall Scholar. Um, I, as you know, originally came to go to the London School of Economics. Both of us had other feet in other ecosystems of entrepreneurship and felt that we should 
think about doing things a little bit differently in the UK. So that's why we set up that. I do some stuff for Crick, the Crick Institute, which is, I, actually, I spent this morning on a site tour. Um, we're building this building that will house... Uh, by King's 15- Cross. By yeah. King's Cross. Yeah, I walked by that. Yeah, well, I'll show you. My phone has all the pictures of the building in... It's a beautiful building. Geez. It is beautiful. Yeah. You see it. They've got a really cool theatre, and I can't wait to hold events in that building. It's so cool. Um, but picture this. 300 um, uh, scientists on each floor, all between 25 and 35, all from absolutely all over the world, all there for between uh, six and 10, 10 years, rotating all the time. How much innovation do you it think is like going to come out of that? Sounds like an incubator, right? Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's a giant incubator. Yeah. But the other yeah. thing that um, you know, Paul Nurse, who you know is heading it up as a CEO, you know, has mentioned that you know we always hear about Nobel Prize winners when they're when they're older, and the awards are given when they're older. But it's usually for work for when they're between twenty five and thirty five. Um, so I'm really excited about the advances that are going to be made in healthcare and, and life sciences that's going to come out of there. I think it's magical. I love that it's at King's Cross. It connects really nicely to the, you know, the, the Abraham Life Sciences and the different... There's a big cluster of, of med and, and health up in, up in the Cambridge area. So that's going to be really strong. It'll be very interesting to see how that part of our ecosystem changes and improves because you have serious critical mass that will come on and it will just blossom. Um, so that will be fun. So that, that again, that's sort of philanthropic. The other philanthropic stuff I do is on Cambridge University. I love education. Um, and I like the interconnection. I think the, I love the power of universities to um, improve their, their own communities. So that's two days a week, and I do a variety of things, all of that philanthropic. I didn't want to wait until I was dead to start <laughs> or retired to start giving back to the community from which I had benefited so much. So I, I do that. Um, I usually try to, there was usually a try of a flavor of technology and bringing people in from the world of technology who might have some capacity to, so citizen science, we've done a lot of that at, at Cancer Research UK and the Crick Institute. And um, you help them understand technology that's being used in our commercial world and how it's applicable in their world, often deeply driving down costs or increasing their ability to, to reach or, 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 or achieve things. And that's quite fun. I like the mixing up of the, the worlds. And then on the other side, the segmentation is three days a week, which is a portfolio. And I try to spend time with the companies that I've made investments in because it's not a transaction. It's a, when you make an investment in a company, you're committing to helping that person run that company and help them, you know, either meet other people or puzzle out problems that they need to puzzle out. Um, What's the average whatever. life cycle of your of your angel investments? Would you say? Well, I can give you some industry stats from from Nesta. The average hold for an angel is nine years. Um, nine years. Wow. Nine years. So um, you know the, the really bad ones. The really marriage. bad ones yeah. die quite quickly. But sure. you know it's it's, a, it's it's quite a long time. And that difference between being a tech, again, if it's an internet one, uh, it can happen a little bit faster. But a lot of the life science ones, or, or ed, or some of the science-based ones, take take a little bit um, take a little right. bit longer. Like genome projects are like twenty-year horizons. And, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because you know, because again, what you're doing is you're taking the science. You then do a translation where you're trying to figure out is there a sustainable model. Then you're doing the pivoting that we spoke about um, a, a little bit earlier to get the product market fit. Then you get that inflection point, and then you commercialize. And that takes a little bit longer if, if it's a science-based or, or a, you know, a life science-based company um, so before you get that product market fit. Um, and how many um, angel investments are you still looking after right now? Just brought like 10, 20? Not that many. 
I have more than 20 in my, I've probably got 30 in my actual portfolio of companies that are, that I'm tracking and have investments and positions in. Um, I've got some that have floated and I, I, I'm always loath to sell shares after they float because I love them so much by then. Um, but actually as a, dis- you know, as a discipline, I, you know, sort of, I, I, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but anyway, there's quite a few. Um, there are very few that I'm actually on the board of or, or the advisory board. Um, and, and that really, that's just a capacity issue that you, it, it's um, quite hard. So, but I try to spend time with, um, with each of them and they all know how to get me. Um, if, if they need me. So what I try to do is help troubleshoot and try to help understand. And if I know enough about what problems they're trying to solve, then I might be able to help them do something um, depending on what they what they want to do. So I now try to mainly troubleshoot and make sure that whoever's on the board knows generally how I might be able to help um, so that they know when to call. Um, and I, you know, I prefer to help them develop their product and make it amazing than you know, help them with a corporate governance issue, which isn't that exciting. I'd rather, you know, get that zeal and work with the entrepreneur to work out, you know, help them, you know, perfect something or make it better so that it's, um, and I like strategy as well. Strategy, industry restructurings are quite fun to think about. Um, and thinking about, well, if this is an incumbent, you know, these are the five competitors, what, you know, what, what's their move going to be? What's their move going to be? How can you hit them so they can't hit you back? I like, thinking through this, you know, this, this strategic and tact- tactical moves. So, well, you've explained your time management, but I still don't know how you do it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. There's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. 40 hours in a day in Cambridge. Is that how? <laughs> yeah. We have many more hours in a day. After. Um, but there's a lot of, there are a lot of similarities between, you know, between companies. And if you try, I mean, I do do mark, you know, market spices. So helping people monetize and put people together, what you're doing is you're, eliminating barriers of making decisions because transactions you know the the things that will kill a market is if there's confusion or lack of transparency so if you're trying to make a market what you're trying to do is get people up a a learning curve so that they feel comfortable about and confident about making you know buying something or, or doing that transaction so if you think about it that way then there's a lot of similarities between a lot of the things that i that i do and that means that in some areas I'm a super expert and others I know, know nothing. And so I try to help people understand that I can help you if you've got a question around these things. Don't bother me with that because I probably won't be that helpful to you, but I might know someone who is. Understood. Founders for Schools, can you walk us through that? Yay! Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so Founders for Schools, uh, as you described very accurately earlier, is a way of helping students understand some of the principles that I was talking about earlier about all of the companies that are around us are created by people like they like their parents like them like their mates Um, you know most of the jobs are created by companies by people who have started up companies that are less than five years old in the U.S. there's a fabulous stat which 100% net new jobs created by companies less than five years old in the U.S. 25% of the GDP growth in this country created by just 6% of companies. Those 6% of companies didn't exist 20, 10, 15 years ago. That's phenomenal. Mm. So, however, if, and again, I've got school-age kids, 13, 14, uh, sorry, 13, 14, and 11. And in their school, um, when they're thinking and learning about careers, they're being told about the sort of careers that you and I were told about, you know, when we were in school. 
Um, but those aren't the careers that are going to exist in, when these kids graduate. And you've probably seen some statistics about, you know, the greatest problem that we have in our tech world is that the university graduates and the high school students don't have skill sets that we need. Um, so starting up Founders for Schools was, um, was a way of helping schools get introduced by founders of businesses so that we could make it obvious why running a business is the best thing ever to do. So it started out as a, you know, we do this conference, the Silicon Valley comes to the UK in November, usually aimed at university students to help them understand the sorts of businesses that they might want to create or join. Um, we had some leftover fabulous speakers, same sort of speakers that you have on, on, on this who are running the companies that are really, really interesting and growing really fast. We have those, used to have those people just at university and they'd come and talk to the students and say, yeah, I'm running this company, it's really fabulous and um, it's so much better than what was there before and the kids get excited and think, oh, I can do that. When, you know, when I graduate, I can do that. We had some leftover speakers about three years ago and you know, we literally had every um, lecture theater in Cambridge filled. There are 6,500 people that come to this conference on, on the weekend. Um, and, but we, had, we still had some leftover speakers because they love coming and talking about their companies. So we said, let's stick them in high schools. Let's stick them in the secondary schools because you know, there's kids there too. And actually, it's a shame because the kids often make decisions when they're 11, 12, 13 that stop them from being able to do the really interesting engineering or mathematical type jobs that are super useful when you get... To, to be, you know, to, to want to run your own company because they allow you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And so we took some of the speakers, contacted some high schools and said, so we got some really cool speakers and they're available from, you know, 10.30 to 11.30 on Thursday. Can you get some kids for us? And we did that for a few, a few, uh, a few schools around, this was in Cambridge. And it was electric. Um, this is like high school age? This is high school. Okay, this is, so we teens. did, I think we did year nine and year 10. So they were, uh, let's say 13, 14. Okay. And the speakers came back and said, that was the most amazing thing that I've ever done. The kids flogged, you know, flocked around them and wouldn't let them leave because they had so many questions. Mm-hmm. And they'd never felt such energy from an audience, um, you know, for years. The te- you know, so I, all, all I saw was the speakers coming back and saying, that's amazing, you've got to do that again. I'm sure that I converted at least 100 kids to want to do something else. And they were just so, they'd never met anybody who'd run their own business before. I don't know, how, how, why don't you have, why hadn't they met anybody who'd ever yeah. run their own business before? And I said, oh, I don't know, um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. I don't know how they couldn't have because, you know, it was in a fairly entrepreneurial community where we started it. Um, so that was that that day. About a week, a week or two weeks later, I had two different parents stop me in the street and say, you know, my child, you put some people, you know, and, you know, you run into these people randomly, they, but they stopped me and said, you know, my child hasn't stopped talking about the business they're going to run when they, when they graduate. And they actually haven't stopped, you know, they haven't, I haven't been able to get them out of the physics book. And they were definitely not interested in physics before. Mm-hmm. And this is a girl. Um, and it's like, interesting so and then I'm, and then I'm scratching my head saying and which what school uh, and what speakers did we send there because I was trying because then you're trying to piece together this sort of thing so seven or eight months after that um the head teacher uh, emailed and said are you gonna you know do you ever you know do you know any other founders that could come again because you know when we did our survey at the end of the year the kids um all vote on what the single most inspiring thing is that they ha- has happened to them in the whole year and the majority of the kids had said 
oh, well, that, that program, when you, know, when you had those people who ran businesses come in and talk to us, that was the single most inspiring thing. So the head teacher usually sees a random assortment of things that have happened, but you know, the whole year, you know, the majority of them, like 80% said that. <laughs> and she went, well, what happened? Because it wasn't her who we contacted, it was a teacher who had arranged it. So she talked to the teacher, and then they came and found us. Um, so it seemed to work and the kids were really, really inspired. So we did it the next year, again, fairly manually. We just took some founders that we know who we thought could had interesting stories to tell and interesting businesses, put them into the schools, this time in deprived areas and this time not just in Cambridge, but in Cambridge and, and in London and not just people from the United States of America. We actually used our local homegrown um, entrepreneurs or homegrown, partially homegrown because they're still quite foreign. The, the people who run businesses often come from all over the place, but um, put them in the, into the schools. And the same thing, it was absolutely electric. So, you know, the hypothesis we were testing the second year is, will it work with, um, with local entrepreneurs from Britain? Are they just as inspiring as the foreigners we happen to have in town? And it was the same, same impact, absolutely electric. I described this to this gentleman at dinner and said I was quite pleased because we'd affected, you know, a couple thousand kids by, you know, you know, in our little experiments. And he said, yeah, but there's 3.7 million people, you know, kids, you know, that's nothing. You know, come on, that's not exciting. And I thought, <laughs> 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 I'm not ambitious enough. Okay. Yeah. And then I, you know, and then I thought about it. It's like, well, okay. So, you know, my usual things are that, you know, you want to try to get 15, 20% of a market. So if the market's 3.7 million do we have, you know, the questions going through in your head, do we have enough homegrown Founders. entrepreneurs <laughs> in, uh, in the yeah. UK to do it? And actually, you do. You can break it down. The math is actually quite simple. If you want to hit, say, um, half a million kids, so 15% of the mark, half a million kids in a year. So question one, can you do it on one event in November? No, that's okay. Can you do it in a series of events? Yes. How many kids are there? How many entrepreneurs? We usually do... Usually the events are 100, you have four entrepreneurs, you assume the entrepreneurs will do maybe a couple of events in a year. All you need is about 10,000 entrepreneurs to cover 15% market simultaneous, you can, you can do it. So then use this fabulous tool called LinkedIn um, and looked at the distribution of entrepreneurs and company founders in the UK. And we have well in excess of that and people who have started up their own businesses and indeed started up their own businesses several times. Um, and then use the database from Companies House via Doodill, which is another fabulous yeah, UK company, yeah. so Damien. Yeah. So I went and talked to Damien and said, can we, you know, so, so you know, let's, let's look at, so if we gave you a list of, you know, people who are running companies, can you filter that list for companies to make sure that, you know, the company's got, you know, a million or two million at least in revenue um, and that it's doing well? And it's like, oh, yeah, easy. So they made their API available to us. And then before I knew it, we could, we had all of the entrepreneurs databased in the UK, we could sort them by how well their company was doing. And we created an online service for teachers, which is much like Amazon or TripAdvisor or Ocado. You know, say it's Molly and Milton Keynes. She can say, I want to create an event in, you know, where are we now? April, June. I, um, I've got some 14-year-old kids. I've you know, got 100 of them. And can they come at 1030? We then do LinkedIn search find the entrepreneurs near them. We then filter for businesses that are only doing well. Um, and we present search much the same way. If you were searching for a book on Amazon, you can search. For, if you're a teacher, you can search for founders 
within 10 miles of you. You, if you're a founder, will get a, you know, you'll get a LinkedIn email saying, um, you know, Colin, can you come on this day to teach this thing? And oh, by the way, it's only 10 miles away from where you are and this is the date. Most of the time, if you're available, you say yes, because it's an hour of your time, you're talking about your business, it's to your local community, you want to give back, and you don't have to do any prep because it's talking about your journey and what you were thinking about when you were in high school and why it's a great career and why it's high impact. So the entrepreneurs wanted to give back, they wanted to say yes, they did say yes, and now we're filling up classrooms and we've created this fabulous tool, and it works. And the automated you know, sort of platform, it works. The, the, the events that you know we used to painstakingly put together using you know humans and you know your head, you know months in advance, um, the teachers can do, and it takes probably twenty seconds. The same, you know, and, and so it reproduces the, itself, kind of. It, it produces people, itself. You know. So what you'll what you'll see as an entrepreneur is you'll get an invitation from a teacher near you asking you to speak in an event in six or eight weeks' time. You'll check your diary. You'll say. Yeah, I'd like to. That's you know, it's around around the corner from here, and I can do that. I'm around on that day. You'll stick in your diary. You'll say yes, and then you'll show up to the school. You'll wow the kids. They might have never ever met someone who's run their own business before. You tell you you know you tell your story in ten or fifteen minutes. They and then you answer questions, and then you've inspired these kids. Three times the percentage of kids choose to study STEM after one one hour um, talk with entrepreneurs. Ninety-six percent of them say that it's hugely inspiring and it's affected the decisions that they'll take when we do the surveys afterwards. It's really neat. It's the most powerful thing I've ever, ever done. Wow. Love um, it. And totally using technology in a beautiful way. You, you know, you're combining due deal and LinkedIn, um, and you're combining a database, something called edudate, edubase. So we, the teachers have to identify themselves by school. So we, you know, we, if you're not a teacher, you can't go anywhere near this database because actually we'd have to charge like a thousand pounds a minute for it because it's actually very valuable it's every entrepreneur and how well their company's doing in the uk and their private company so um but but it's a very valuable resource for them and um we're just putting in some other cool programming so that if they haven't done about you know you know if they're if they haven't done a balance on if they've chosen three i don't know fashion and um you know there's a in, and you know they, we might sort of say well you know there's a lot of entrepreneurs in your area who also do you know hardware and have you thought of adding a hardware one into the inv- invitation mix so we're now doing some validation checks yeah. to make sure that the teacher doesn't accidentally choose four people that all look like and talk like and say the same right. thing so if they've got inherent biases in what they've chosen we're now asking them to ask themselves before they put the confirm invitations um, that they, you know, they are happy with their choice, and they, you know, they've thought about it. How, um, you, how do you do that? Find you speak a lot, right? Yeah, Schools yeah, I do. Like I do a lot of talks, mostly for young kids, really young kids. Um, and it's the younger, the better. I think yeah. I almost have this. You know, if it's if you if it's eight, it's too late. We started yeah. at secondary because we knew that we wanted to get them before they made their their A level choices. Yeah. Um, and then we thought, but actually, they're making they're still making choices. Right. Way earlier than that. Sure. So I think, you know, our, our you know, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Right. And I talk mostly about adventure and just sort of get out and see the world and talk about my trips. And it's, yeah, when you, after you finish your talk and you ask if any questions and you see a hundred hands go up, it's Isn't just like, cool? it's like, okay, you, you, you. And it's just, it's hilarious. But and their little eyes, they're just, they're just, they're just lit up and suddenly yeah. they've seen something and they think, oh, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. I'm like that. That's what I want to do. That sounds way more interesting than some of these other th- things that I've thought about or the TV shows. And, and just going back to entrepreneurship, they often think, and the one thing that shocked me was, again, the impact of some of the, the shows. 
Um, so they're like, well, no, I can't be an entrepreneur because I definitely want to go to university. And my parents want me to go to university. And if you're an entrepreneur, that means you're a high school dropout. It's like, well, no, not in the world that I know. Many, many, many of them have gone to university and have relatively technical degrees, which is why they can do what they do. But because of the media and the different sure. shows that there are, and then they think, no, I've seen that Dragon's Den. You, right. That's a mean business. That's mean. Right. People in business right. are mean. It's like, well, actually, no, that's also not the way that it is. So again, it allows you to defray the myths that are that are out there about like about a, business that's formed by these entertainment reality shows that actually aren't really reality as we know it in the world of tech. It's a great PR campaign for entrepreneurs. <laughs> reality. You, you mentioned you know some girls you know in those high school groups, and uh, I just wondered if we could talk about women in tech real quickly. We had we had um, uh, Easy Vidra who runs Google Campus, you know, right down the road, and mm. he was giving me a tour of the campus, and he was like, uh, "What percentage of women are in tech?" And I was like, "Uh." I don't know, 20 something. And he was like 9%, but at Google campus, it's like double that. Right. And, you know, he was just like really, and on the show, he was like, get a founder and get a female founder. And he was just like all about, we, we do balance for gen, gender on the, the other I validation check that <laughs> okay. I was just talking about. Yeah. Um, so actually when we did our manually curated one, we, we do make sure, and in fact, I did a scale up panel uh, last year and we had four women who had floated their company and they were all talking and there was no men on the scale up panel. Hmm. I um, it was great. So we are, we're getting more critical mass. Um, I think having role models is, is really, really critical for that. And, um, you know, any, I think being in business is a brilliant career for a woman. I mean, obviously it's what I did. Um, so I've already, you know, I'm sort of drinking the Kool-Aid, but, um, it's a fabulous job. And now that I'm portfolio, that's the thing that I can do and have kids at the same time. It's a wonderful, um, forgiving and flexible future to be your own boss and your own, you know, your own curator of your own, your own life. I think that, you know, the businesses that some of the most amazing, you know, women that I know have started up are problems that women want to solve and that men may not see. So care.com, they floated a few weeks ago. Um, they're a business that helps sandwich moms um, create the marketplace for the th things that help them take care of their kids and the things that help them take care of their aging and ill parents. Um, and what it does is it filters um, choice, you know, so say I've got a, you know, a mother and mother suffering from dementia or diabetes or something. It'll say, well, these are the people that can help. You can help with these problems. And by the way, they're rated as five stars. And I'm, you know, that's going to help me figure out which ones, which, you know, who I have to help. Um, it's a great business, deep marketplace. Um, I don't think it would have been thought up by a, I don't think it would have been thought up by a man. There are plenty of men who work at the company, but it was a woman trying to solve her own problem um, that sorted that out. Another one, Move Guides, the female entrepreneur of the, the year this year, um, and um, it's Move Guides. And the people who get stuck with actually moving their families around usually are, it's usually the woman sorts out all the issues. Right. Um, TaskRabbit was female founder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah. you're solving, you know, there are lots of problems that need to be solved and women actually run into a lot of these problems. Um, and we're just as capable, and in some areas, far more capable because we have deep empathy with whatever the status quo is that needs to be, needs to be solved. Um, They're doing a mom's program now at Google campus. So it's a whole yeah. mom entrepreneur idea. I mentioned yeah, that to someone, brilliant. and they were like, "Why?" And I'm like, "Mom, mom, yeah. mompreneurs." Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, the term mompreneurs. I haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but um, but yeah, very much so. I mean, I I, th I think it's the most empowering, invigorating, um, and and 
choice for any everyone, um, but actually particularly women, because we will have a unique advantage at um, seeing and understanding some problems and also being able to create unique solutions for them. And that's what entrepreneurs do. It's it's as perfect for women as it is as it is men. On the Raspberry Pi, we started up a MOOC in computing last year, which was a joint venture between a bunch of different entities. And we went to great pains to make sure that the examples and the communications were given 50% by men and 50% by women. And originally when we started, it was like, oh, well, we need so-and-so and so-and-so. I went, wait, hang on. Actually, but we really need to illustrate this and this and this. And so that now is gender balance. But, you know, we sort of almost, if you went on a you know, the current status quo, it is heavily towards men, but it, it shouldn't be. And there are, you know, many, many problems. And, you know, I think we all need to work together to, to solve them. I thought that was good advice that Easy said, get a woman on your yeah. founding piece. You know, like he said, also said, don't just be you and your buddies that make the company. Get someone from a different country and get a woman. David, uh, is, uh, like uh, Dave McClure put out a few tweets recently. And also the Kaufman Foundation has done some research that show inextricably Companies that have women co-founders do better, uh, and you know, so you should absolutely. There you go. Um, you know, <laughs> either co-founders or founders where you, you recruit. But again, I think mixed and diverse teams are, are really important. We do this scale-up report um, for at Silicon Valley comes to UK SVC to UK co UK um, and com, and um, it as it tries to package up the secrets of founders and CEOs who have scaled their companies to already to a billion about the things they wished they'd known when they were just starting up. So the scale-up report is something that might help, might help, and we, you know, we created as a, as a way of just trying to pass knowledge from one to the other. But in that, one of the lessons is, first of all, talent, and secondly, diversity, and bringing together different perspectives, be they male or male and female, or, you know, American and Canadian and you know British and you know I don't know name a country um, is is far more creative and creates much more interesting and robust solutions that apply on a global basis. If you want a global company, you really should have some people from around the globe on it, not just a narrow subset. And that's also the magic of what I think we can do as entrepreneurs. We can create global businesses by tapping the community and going back to why London. London's the most diverse place ever. You know how, you know we can easily get everybody from around the globe here. You know, five minutes. How many, you know you you can do that here much more easily than you can in most other metropolitan areas. Yeah, that's definitely true. Speaking of learning from uh, people that have already done this, we always ask someone uh, who comes here the same uh, question at the end, and I'm going to ask you, Sherry, if you could make a phone call to the 20 year old Sherry uh, and give that young lady a bit of advice. What would you tell her? Um, I would tell her, well, 20. So she's already studied STEM subjects. Um, I tell her to program. I think programming and uh, is, a, is a really helpful thing. It equips you to solve a lot of problems. I think data, um, you know, data and what you can do with programming and manipulating it and seeing patterns for the noise is going to be something key for, you know, to help us navigate our futures. Um, I think thinking about people and relationships, because I think, you know, it's us and people who make, make the world. And I definitely tell her or, you know, her, her to start up her own business because it's the most empowering, invigorating, high impact thing you can do. Well, wow, those are very good. On, on that same note, um, what's the best advice you've ever received? I'm guessing you've received quite a bit of advice from some fascinating people, but can you nail it down to one or two? Um, I wrote that one down. Um, so uh, <laughs> I did. So, um, 
So I think it's that um, it was that it's better to make decisions even if you don't have perfect information because moving forward is far more impact um, than uh, just overanalyzing things. And maybe I had, you know, maybe when I received this advice, I was over analytical or over academic. I'm not sure, but I think momentum and moving things forward is really, really critical for all of us because we together create a better world. And it's only by making decisions um, every day on imperfect information that allows us to move forward. So I think it was that move, make decisions, make changes. As long as you move forward every day. Um, then your impact will be profound. And I think we're all here, and we all want to have impact on, on the world. Final bit of that question, uh, your advice to the 20-year-old listening, assume that this person is not in a major city, so they can't come down to a drink about or they can't go to the valley. You know, What advice do you give to them if they want to be an entrepreneur or get into tech? What would you say? There are a lot of fabulous online courses. So they should use if they haven't taken our MOOC and computing Raspberry Pi, they should. Okay. They should make things. Um, you don't. You, being geographically separate doesn't stop any of us any any longer. Um, you can find communities online. If you have a passion, chase it. Chase your passion. That's the other piece of great advice. You know, I don't work. I just chase passions, and it's just a joy, and it's it's fun. Um, That's and the quote of the show. I don't yeah. work. I chase passions. Yeah. That's a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and the final question I have is, what's with the Canadian mafia? You two are part of it. <laughs> you guys really stick together. Um, it's weird because people assume... I remember when I was in the city, uh, I was an American, and they were like, you, t- you cover the guy at Citibank because he's an American. And I was like, you know, there's so many of us that it's hard for us to make a connection. But you guys really stick together. So what, what, what's, what's it all about? The C100 is how kind of I, I sort of... The C100 was founded in the Valley, I guess, back in 2008 with sort of the top Canadian entrepreneurs in the Valley trying to help Canadian companies get get funded, okay. a little bit more liquidity, because at the time and still in Canada, the sort of the ability for companies to get funded is is still somewhat limited, although getting getting much, much, much better. So I went to one of those events, and, and then you go to one of those events, you're a new guy in town, and that's just kind of where your network starts from a little bit goes back to people doesn't it yeah yeah Yeah. you meet meet some great people and you start you know having coffees and i think every a lot of a lot of the time when you're a foreigner in a city you people have been through what you're going through in a way so they kind of want to help you out a little bit and then you just kind of reach out to sort of great sort of canadians in 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 the uk who've been been here for 28 years and have done some incredible stuff and hope that they'll take the time and give you a coffee. <laughs> do you find yourself uh, helping Canadians? But, you know, I'm sure you help a lot of people. Do you have a special affinity for someone from Canada? Of course I do. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, you know, without a doubt. I mean, you've got a shared past. You've got, you know, it's easy to, to, um, to, to find a common, a common language if you're from the same, if you're from the same country. Um, and there aren't that many of us really around. Right. I think that uh, really helps to have a small size because I think if you, you know, there are. I mean, there's still not that many Americans here, but we're much more, so we're probably less likely to. Well, you go to see a Canadian hockey game down at the Maple Leaf in Covent Garden, and you realize how many Canadians, oh, Canadians are actually are here. here. Right. You can't get in. You're like, what? I didn't know there were this many here. Yeah. The neat, the neatest thing was last week when I was at TED in Vancouver. That was so much fun because right. it was an entrepreneur fest, a design technology, and it was in Vancouver. I it felt really nice to yeah. be there. Um, I also felt very nice to do some skiing, some skiing, um, yeah. some skiing at Whistler Blackcomb. 
Vancouver and the sun, and it's quite, it's quite a town, isn't it? Vancouver is a beautiful city. Yeah, I haven't been there. Um, Sherry, thank you so much for coming. I feel thank like we could talk for another hour. Uh, we, we didn't even touch on, on, on a bunch of other things. So uh, we might have to do this again sometime. For people that want to get in touch with, with these various things, like Founders for Schools and uh, uh, the Silicon Valley comes to the UK, I know you rattled off some URLs, but are there some Twitter handles or some easy ways for people to find those things? Yeah, um, so Silicon Valley comes to the UK is uh, SVC2UK and a two not a really like it's a number two and founders for schools is founders and then the number four and then schools um for the twitter handles um and maybe we can shoot it around on the yeah for sure if if someone out there is listening who's maybe a teacher or principal or involved you know how do they get this at their school how do they get access to that database to to find the the founder that's great um they thank you they go onto the web and put in wwwfounders for number four schoolsorguk and you say you know i'm a teacher this is when i want to put my event on and you know we will have you a fantastic list within 20 seconds uh, you know our our claim is it takes less time than you know a cup of coffee. You have to know when you when you want to hold your event, um, but as long as you figure that out before you come, it's great. It's free. Um, it costs you nothing, and the impact will be profound on your kids. You'll um, open up a, a lot of eyes, and you might have a lot of you know you'll have a lot of fun yourself. Yeah, to do it. that's like a no-brainer. I wish I had had those in high school. Know. You know, just those speakers to come and talk to you. Yeah, yeah I never had anyone. It's what made me. You know, <laughs> you know when I I, yeah. I I was you know in business, I was meeting entrepreneurs. It made me think I can do that. It's the same thing. Right. Great. Yeah. Um, on, and you're on Twitter as well, at Sherry Couture. You're very active. Uh, no, actually, it's not at Sherry Couture. It's at S-C-O-U-T-U, at Scout U. Uh, so my, okay. my surname is Couture, and my first initial is S. For it's, it's, Some people say, oh, it's Scout U, and I hadn't really thought about that, but it, it's, it's my initial, which is S-C-O-U-T-U. Excellent. Excellent. All right. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you can uh, watch us on uh, uh, YouTube channel Silicon Reel. We'll have the links to all those um, organizations down at the bottom on the notes. Uh, you know, as uh, Colin, uh, we always say, it's about the people. Uh, I think it's so easy to forget, especially yeah. when you're young and you're like trying to start that new business that you don't look to the left and the right of you and you think these relationships are the ones that I'm really going to use in 10 and 20 years, you know, maybe more so than that extra class that you took. Or yeah. What are we going to do? That's what I want yeah. to do. Oh, we're no. going to get up some know. mischief. Wow, that sounds super cool. Uh, that sounds really cool. Um, and uh, there you go. Episode 40. 40. It's uh, been a crazy ride. It's been lots of fun. It has fantastic people here. So uh, we're going to keep going. Keep right? it coming. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming, Sherry. And uh, like I said, it's about the people and all the best to you. Thank you. And you too. All right. Take care. So Campus London is our European headquarters and it's probably you know, the biggest manifestation of uh, what Google for Entrepreneurs can do or does. Uh, communities are not made of buildings, they're made of people. And we try to curate this community and, and make it really accessible and open and and we help everyone. Our vision at Google has always been, you know, think big but start small. Don't be evil, it's really do the right thing for humanity, not necessarily for money.